Welcome to Future of Freedom. I'm your host, Scott Bertram. Future of Freedom is a production of America's Talking Network. You can check out all of our great podcasts at americastalking.com. To support great podcasts like this one, please donate by clicking the link in the show description. We bring you interviews today from both sides of the debate over whether conservatives should embrace class action lawsuits. In a little bit, we'll talk with Ted Frank. He is director of the Center for Class Action Fairness at the Hamilton Lincoln Law Institute. You can find him on Twitter at Ted Frank. First, we're joined by Brian Fitzpatrick. He is Milton R. Underwood Chair in Free Enterprise and a professor of law at Vanderbilt Law School, also the author of The Conservative Case for Class Actions. Brian, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Scott, for having me. Very happy to be here. Discussing today the question about class action lawsuits and should conservatives embrace class action lawsuits. Let's get a definition set first as we begin our conversations today. When we talk about class action lawsuits, what should people be thinking about? A class action is a very special lawsuit where one person is allowed to sue on behalf of a lot of other people that have suffered the same injury or the same legal violation. And so it's, it's, it's a representative action where someone you don't know is standing in for your legal rights. At some point, you're supposed to get noticed that this is going on. And in many of these lawsuits, you get a chance to opt out if you don't like it. But the basic idea is someone is suing on your behalf without necessarily your knowledge at the outset. And it's very likely our listeners, Brian, have either been involved in a class action lawsuit or have received notice of a class action lawsuit, especially so many of these days involving uh, privacy matters and Facebook and, and Google. There are notices heading out all the time. So class action is the is the current uh, is currently allowed. It's currently uh, law of the land. Without the presence of class action lawsuits, what do you think the consequence would be? Well, my view is that if we didn't have class actions, there'd be a lot more corporate and even governmental wrongdoing because it's very expensive to file a lawsuit when someone does something wrong to you. And unless you have a lot of damages, you're not going to do it. You're just going to sit there and take whatever wrongful thing has happened to you as like a, a punch in the gut and move on with your life. And uh, the class action solves this problem of people with small damages who have been the victim of wrongdoing, not being able to sue. It solves the problem by letting one person sue for everybody else. And when you aggregate all of these small damages together, it adds up to a pretty big number. And when you have a pretty big number, then it becomes worthwhile for someone to go to court and try to recover damages. And in this particular case, the person that is going to have the incentive to go to court to recover something is not even necessarily that representative that is suing on behalf of everybody else but it's the representative's lawyer. There's a class action lawyer that'll be willing to take the case because they will invest their time and their money. And if they get a recovery for you and everybody else in the class, 
they will get a percentage of what they recover, a contingency fee. And that makes it worthwhile. If we didn't have this mechanism that allowed all these small losses to be aggregated into a litigation vehicle that was worthwhile for a lawyer to invest in, then companies would know they could take small amounts of money from us um, with impunity and they would do it more often. And governments too, there's a lot of class actions filed against the government. Uh, there's a, a lot of takings class actions filed against the government. There's some programs um, being litigated now. There's one before the Supreme Court uh, where states, when you don't pay your property taxes, they auction off your property and uh, they don't give you back whatever excess there is between what the property sold for and what you owed in taxes. Mm -hmm. They keep the excess for themselves. <laughs> and there's been a bunch of class actions filed against state and local governments for that practice. And so if we didn't have this mechanism, it'd be very hard to hold people accountable for small losses. Let's talk about the, the current system and, and, and how it works. Is there any evidence of an overabundance of class action suits? Is there evidence that the system is being exploited in some way? I haven't seen the evidence. Uh, there are about um, maybe seven, 800 class action settlements every year in the United States of America. That's our best guess on the number of class action settlements. Do we think that there is kind of widespread corporate wrongdoing and government wrongdoing only seven or 800 times a year in the United States? My intuition is there's probably more wrongdoing going on than the class action has been able to police. And in fact, there was a very interesting study that was done by some economists, I believe at the University of Chicago, of uh, corporate fraud. And they used some interesting changes um, in the law and, and uh, to try to figure out how much corporate fraud is out there versus how many times corporations are sued by shareholders for corporate fraud. And they concluded only about one third of the time that corporations lie, are they actually sued in these shareholder class actions. And so their view was there's actually probably three times as much wrongdoing as there are shareholder class actions. I suspect the same is true for other types of wrongdoing that we only catch a fraction of the wrongdoing that's going on. And so I just have not seen any good evidence that we have too many class actions. My best guess is we have too few. At the end of these cases, when either a settlement is reached or an award is granted, this is a question people have, which is, do the plaintiffs here really benefit, or is it the lawyers who actually benefit from these awards? This is a good question, and this is probably the weakest point in the class action armor, if you will, is... Um, what happens to the money after these settlements are agreed to? And um, you know, the lawyer is going to get, on average, 25% of whatever they recover for the class. And so if you have, you know, the average case settles for around $5 million, so the lawyer is going to get 25% of that. And so you're looking at one, uh, you know, and a quarter million dollars going to the lawyer. What happens to the other monies? Well, they usually try to distribute the monies to class members. Um, but that usually requires some kind of what we call claim process where class members 
have to do something to say, yes, you can send me this money at this address or what have you. Usually that's online these days, but in the olden days, you used to file a paper form out, fill out a paper form and send it in the mail. So only about 9% of class members actually go through the claim process in a consumer class action. So that means 91% of class members aren't getting anything in the typical consumer case, for example. So that's not good. Now, that doesn't mean that the the $3.75 million that doesn't go to the lawyer um, ends up, you know, somehow getting taken by the lawyer anyway. Usually what we do is we divide the $3.75 million up among the 9% of people who filed the claim. So the money still goes to class members, just a small fraction of class members. Sometimes defendants don't like it if class members would get more money from a settlement that does that than they were injured. Mm-hmm. The defendants insist on capping what each class member can get at what they were injured. And there's sometimes leftover money then, and that usually goes to charity. Um, and that's controversial because some, sometimes, you know, the, the lawyers don't pick the best charities. They pick charities that they're involved in. And I understand that objection. But the bottom line is it doesn't all go to the lawyer. The lawyer gets 25 percent. Seventy five percent goes to a small percentage of class members or to charity. But the most important point of, of, of all in all of this is it doesn't go back to the defendant and class members benefit indirectly even when they don't get money, when defendants have to pay when they do wrongdoing, because there's something that we refer to as deterrence mm-hmm. that class actions generate. If defendants pay out big amounts of money when they do wrong, they're less inclined to do the wrong thing. And we all benefit from companies that are scared to do bad things. So I do and, want, I do want to ask yeah. specifically on that point. So is there evidence do we know that class actions do something to deter corporate wrongdoing or do they simply add up to a, a cost of doing business for for these companies? Do do we see future behavior actually change? This is a great question, Scott. And there were some doubts about this out there when I wrote my book, The Conservative Case for Class Actions. And so I devoted an entire chapter, chapter eight of the book to this question, do class actions deter wrongdoing? And there's two ways in which we have very good data that class actions do deter wrongdoing. So one type of deterrence is called specific deterrence. And this happens when a company is sued and they change their behavior after the fact. And we know that class actions generate this kind of deterrence because about 25% of class action settlements force the companies to change their behavior in some way or another. If they're charging um, an illicit fee, bank fee on people, the settlement agreement will say you can no longer charge this bank. So 25% of class action settlements, that's hundreds a year, are changing corporate behavior explicitly by the terms of the agreement. But there's also something called general deterrence, which is the mere threat of a class action causes companies to not do the bad thing they might have otherwise done. There's five empirical studies that I talk about in this book chapter, four from corporate securities fraud, one from antitrust, 
where scholars have identified changes in the law that made class actions more threatening. And then they went to go see, did that change that increased the threat of class actions lead to less corporate wrongdoing? And in all five studies, scholars said, yes, there was a statistically significant decline in wrongdoing when the class action threat went up. So the theory is working in reality as far as we can tell. When these cases get before a judge, go to court, does the length of time to adjudicate class action suits, is it longer than longer than other suits? Is there a more efficient way of doing this? Does it take too long in some cases, years to get a settlement for the class action representatives in these cases? It can take, uh, but the average time to a resolution in a class action is only about three years. And that's not that much longer than general litigation takes in this country. Litigation takes a long time. So I don't think the problem is with delays. Um, You ask, is there a more efficient way to do it? I mean, I don't know what it would be. You know, some of these class actions have hundreds of thousands or millions of people Mm -hmm. as part of the class. I mean, what would be more efficient to try to hold companies accountable for a million wrongdoings than one lawsuit where we get money and we try our best to distribute it to those people. I, I, breaking it up into, other law, into more lawsuits seems even less efficient. The other alternative is to rely on the government more. You know, uh, There was a proposal in 1978 to get rid of consumer class actions. That proposal today would be you know, the dream bill of the United States Chamber of Commerce. <laughs> but back then it was introduced by Ted Kennedy the very liberal senator from Massachusetts at the behest of the Carter administration, Jimmy Carter, because they wanted to create a government agency to police corporate wrongdoing instead. So that's another alternative. Maybe it would be more efficient to turn everything over to government regulation and government enforcement, but I'm just not a big government kind of guy, Scott. I'd rather have private citizens represented by private lawyers uh, holding companies accountable than a, a new government agency. So are you comfortable? Should we be? Should we all be comfortable with class action suits as a primary lever of enforcing civil law? Absolutely. I think private lawyers representing private citizens is a more effective way to hold people accountable for wrongdoing than to entrust that work to another government agency, government bureaucrats, Uh, government officials that may or may not have class members' interests in mind because they have other interests they pay attention to, like politics, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think this is a a system that works because it's pure. It's focused on money, and there is something pure about the profit motive that we don't get with government officials. And so I think the system basically works. It's not perfect. I have some proposals in my book to to tweak the system, but I think it gets a bad rap because it basically works. It delivers a lot of deterrence and a lot of compensation for a lot of people that we would not otherwise have. Brian Fitzpatrick is Milton R. Underwood Chair in Free Enterprise and Professor of Law at Vanderbilt Law School. As he mentioned, his recent book is The Conservative Case for Class Actions. Brian, thank you so much for joining us here on Future of Freedom. My pleasure. Thank you, Scott. 
Now to hear the argument from the other side, we're joined by Ted Frank, director of the Center for Class Action Fairness at the Hamilton Lincoln Law Institute. You can find him on Twitter at Ted Frank. Ted, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Talking today about uh, the question of whether conservatives should uh, embrace class action lawsuits. You would be on the negative if, if people Google your name or know things about Ted Frank. You are a frequent objector to these class action settlements. What are your typical concerns? Well, the underlying problem in the class action settlement process is the conflict of interest between the class counsel, the attorney representing the absent class members, and the thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of consumers or shareholders who are represented by that class counsel involuntarily. And the class counsel has the incentive to the settlement along with the defendants who, whose main concern is getting out of the lawsuit as cheaply as possible without regard to who gets the money. But the class attorney has the incentive to structure the settlement to create the illusion of relief to maximize how large the fees would be approved by the court while minimizing the actual recovery to the class, because every dollar that's going to the class is a dollar that doesn't go to the attorney. Are there incentives in place or or how is it structured in a way in which class actions end up being better for the attorneys than for those actually harmed in the arguments? Well, uh, the problem is this. Uh, You do have judicial approval of class action settlements, but the judicial system is designed to be an adversary system. Uh, Judges do not have either the time or the inclination or often the skill set to be investigators uh, trying to divine the truth, and they rely on the adversary process to produce truth. But when it comes to a class action settlement, you suddenly have a plaintiff versus a defendant uh, who each have the same incentive to present to the court the idea that the settlement is as good and as large as possible uh, with the attorneys then saying, see, we're entitled to this fee. So they will go to the court and they say, we have a $15 million settlement here. uh, Because we've made $15 million available to the class, but both the class counsel and the defendant know that they've structured a claims process whereby if class members don't file claims, they won't get any money and then have throttled either the notice or the difficulty of making a claim such that uh, over 99% of the class won't make claims and the, and the real cost to the defendant will be one or $2 million. So for example, we had a, a settlement over Wesson oil labeling uh, and the attorneys came in and they said, well, we, we uh, made tens of millions of dollars available to the class. Uh, plus, we got this uh, injunction and our expert says the injunction's worth $20 million. So therefore, our $7 million fee is reasonable. And we objected and we said, wait a second, the class is only getting less than a million dollars because nobody made a claim. And then on top of that, the injunction doesn't actually require the defendant to do anything and is economically worthless to class members, much less the the class members who were allegedly previously injured by the allegedly defective labeling. The district court was still inclined to approve the settlement because, well, this litigation had gone on for several years and he wanted to get a a case off of his docket. Uh, Fortunately, we got the Ninth Circuit to reverse that. But 
if we had not shown up, that settlement would have been rubber stamped. If we had not appealed, the, the, the attorneys still would have gotten their $7 million uh, with the class getting less than a seventh of that. And, you know, we're the only ones doing this. Uh, it, it's not profitable for class members with a $5 claim, mm -hmm. just as it's not profitable for them to bring the litigation in the first place. And that's why we have class actions. It's not profitable for them to monitor what their attorneys are doing, especially when the attorneys are hiding the ball and not telling the court what the real value of the settlement is. Uh, the, the class members are, are, are no better situated to, to determine that than a judge is. Hmm. So without uh, people with experience seeing through the abuses of the class action system, you get settlements like that, and the vast majority of them will get approved without any real objection. I'd like to um, correct something you said at the beginning of, of, of the program, where sure. you said I'm an opponent of class actions. I, I am not an opponent of class actions. I'm an opponent of class action abuse, and uh, we, we have a, a system where class actions do get abused. Uh, and I think Brian Fitzpatrick would actually agree with that. Uh, and and if, if when we actually debate face to face, uh, we end up on agreeing on a lot where Brian Fitzpatrick says, yes, this is a real problem of class actions. And yes, this whole class of class actions that accounts for 90 percent of the money paid out in class actions is a problem and shouldn't happen. And, and by the end of the day, Brian Fitzpatrick has has rejected almost everything that the current class action system is. But then he says, if you reform it, then class actions are good. And I would say the same thing. If you reform it, then class actions are good. But that leaves what the status quo is right now, where you have a system where attorneys are incentivized to bring meritless lawsuits because they can get paid uh, without actually providing any bit of fit for consumers. And it just raises costs to consumers and shareholders. You mentioned that the meritless cases, the way the system is currently being exploited, what do we know about the number of cases, how many of those cases, as you mentioned, perhaps are, are meritless or brought merely to uh, bully, in a sense of that word, uh, someone into a, a settlement? What do we see that in, in this class action system? Well, nobody keeps account, right? Because how, how would you measure that? Uh, you know, nobody, when even w whether you have a meritorious class action or a meritless class action, the defendant's going to say, say the same thing. Hmm. We don't admit liability. We're paying to get rid of the litigation. You know, you can sort of sense it by the, the magnitude of the settlement, how quickly a case settles, uh, you know, whether the attorneys are walking away of $2 million or $30 million. But even there, you know, we've had meritless class actions where the the attorneys lost eight of them the first time, nine times they brought the case. And then the ninth time on the identical case, uh, they get a settlement for three or four cents on the dollar uh, and, and and say, aha, we, we, we've won this big, giant victory. In fact, Brian Fitzpatrick testified on one of those uh, where the, the, the allegation were that certain checking fees uh, check over uh, draft checking overdraft fees were were illegal, um, and Brian Fitzpatrick said, "Oh, this is a wonderful settlement, and the attorneys should absolutely get five thousand dollars an hour for this." And well, the, but the class members got three cents on the dollar. So, uh, so if 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 you know if the bank was doing something illegal, they got away with it. They got to keep 
95% of the money and, and or you know, maybe 90% of the money and, and pay three cents to the class members and seven cents to the attorneys and, and keep 90 cents of every dollar of uh, abusive checking fees for themselves. Or uh, the case was meritless as the first eight courts that ruled on it found. And this was just a, a big wealth transfer from banking customers to these attorneys. Um, and that's not a system that's working. You say you're not an opponent of class action lawsuits uh, in the in the abstract. I did want to ask about this because I've read it in a few places, a question or a debate over the, the constitutionality of class action lawsuits altogether in terms of violating the Rules Enabling Act or separation of powers principles. Are class action lawsuits constitutional? I think there are questionable problems uh, with the way notice is handled in class action lawsuits. Uh, I, I think due process requires a better effort to notify class members who are having uh, their rights extinguished, especially in the larger uh, value class actions. Uh, and uh, generally parties go with the constitutional minimum of, of due process to notice and, and, you know, put some ads on the web and put something on page C32 of the Wall Street Journal and in, in, in tiny six point print, uh, or, and, um, and, and, but over 99% of class members will, will never see those notices. Uh, so, you, you know, there was recently a very large, uh, settlement of a shareholder suit against Altria that would ultimately cost shareholders over $100 million. And though Altria uh, regularly emails their shareholders with various notices of, of trivial things, hmm. uh, this settlement, the only notice of it was uh, on, on the back page of the Wall Street Journal. So, or, or buried in, in, in the 10Q report. Uh, so shareholders didn't know that, uh, that these attorneys were, were, were taking them for a ride. That, that that's something that that needs to be litigated because uh, again most of these cases aren't adversarial and, and parties convince the court to to take shortcuts mm -hmm. but uh in terms of you know a class action is just a procedural joinder device and i don't have a a, a problem with that under the constitution many many of our listeners will have been involved in a class action lawsuit at some point, whether it's more recent ones involving oh, Google, oh. Facebook, right, everyone. Is there a way to make them better informed about the problems that you claim are with these lawsuits, meaning the amount of the settlements that are going to attorneys? Everyone gets a, you know, a check in the end or a deposit in the end, and there's a feeling of at least I got something out of this. Is there a better way to make them aware of exactly what the settlement was and how much of it flows down to the claimants? Well, you know, you can follow uh, news sources on this or, you know, follow my Twitter account or, or the, the Hamilton Lincoln uh, uh, Law Institute uh, uh, Twitter account uh, where we talk about settlements as they come down. I mean, the underlying problem with many of these cases is that you are a class member and you don't know you're a class member. You didn't mm -hmm. get the notice. Uh, the notice was was buried on, on the back page of USA Today. Or, or was on a web advertisement that you never saw. So if you, if you don't know that there's a class action suit and that attorneys are making millions of dollars off of your putative claim, uh, you, you don't know there's a problem. 
if, if uh, you know, even if you do get the notice, the notice doesn't tell you because uh, the, the notice will just tell you that there's a settlement and that you can make a claim. Uh, if you go through the jump through the hoops of making a claim for a few dollars, you can get your few dollars. Very few settlements, some do, but very few settlements directly pay class members without the class members taking an affirmative step first mm-hmm. to get money in their pockets. But un- unless you know what to look for in those notices or in the underlying court documents where where the facts are buried, uh, you don't know whether you're being treated fairly and. You know, we we could probably create a resource uh, if there if there is a demand for it, uh, where we we uh, just sort of let people know, hey, this settlement is out there. Here's how you make a claim, and here's uh, we think it's unfair, and you should object, or we think it's not too unfair, and we're not going to bother to object, but you could object if you wanted to. But you know, the problem we have is that there are many, many more unfair class action settlements than we have attorneys that can deal with them. We are, you know, we're, we're a shoestring organization spending barely over a million dollars a year. Uh, and, and we do a lot with that. We win tens of millions of dollars uh, for consumers with that million dollars a year, but we could do so much, much more if, if we were larger, if we had more attorneys, if we had more resources. Uh, so it, it, it's not worth it to us to, to go out and, and do these educational campaigns because one, we don't have the money to do it, but two, even if we did tell consumers about more abusive class actions, we, we already have uh, more objections than that we could bring than we have time to bring them. If we leave, leave aside the monetary aspect for a second, and feel free to tell me we shouldn't do that at all, but is there a positive outcome to these class action suits in that they do they help to deter corporate wrongdoing? Do they do they do they force corporations to refine their activities? Do they help to enforce civil law outside of additional government action? Are there actually good ends to some of these class action lawsuits? Uh, there isn't very good evidence of that because we only have a very active government that enforces the law. And, and often the class action is, is just piggybacking off of existing market pressures, existing regulatory pressures, existing government enforcement pressures. Uh, there, there is plenty of deterrent aspects to corporations ripping off consumers. People can go to jail for that. Uh, they can go to jail for violating the antitrust laws. So a lot of these are are shakedowns where uh, somebody has a, a novel theory of uh, law breaking uh, or or you know a plausible claim uh, that that has a five to ten percent chance of succeeding and uh, or, or fooling a jury. And uh, that that's enough to settle because well, litigation is expensive. If if the case is meritorious, the government's probably already on top of that uh, and already insisting on reimbursement. So, you know, Brian absolutely argues for the deterrent value, but uh, when the good companies are sued just as often as the bad companies, that 
eliminates the real deterrent value because you're going to get sued whether you do good or whether you do bad. So there's no incentive to do good. The, the idea would be that if you do bad, you'll get sued. But if you do good, you're going to get sued anyway. So that that's not the marginal incentive to be deterred. The, the incentive is, is to treat your customers fairly in the marketplace uh, if you want repeat customers. Ted Frank is director of the Center for Class Action Fairness at the Hamilton Lincoln Law Institute. Ted, thank you so much for joining us here today on Future of Freedom. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We thank both our guests for joining us today. Brian Fitzpatrick is Milton R. Underwood Chair in Free Enterprise and Professor of Law at Vanderbilt Law School. He's the author of The Conservative Case for Class Actions. Ted Frank, Director of the Center for Class Action Fairness at the Hamilton Lincoln Law Institute. And you can find him on Twitter or X at Ted Frank. For more episodes of the Future of Freedom podcast and other fine podcasts from America's Talking Network, check out americastalking.com or wherever you find your podcasts. Thank you for listening to Future of Freedom, presented by America's Talking Network. We'll be right back.